All right. Uh, <laughs> We're so weird. Could you imagine what other podcast people do? Like maybe people are. Really I think they're normal. really normal, and they're probably really professional. Oh, no, you can't be normal and professional. All right, here we go. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz. Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Friday morning. It is March 24th. I'm your co-host, Jared Mintz, and joining me on this lovely spring morning is my partner in crime, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how the hell are you? Oh, I'm doing tremendous, Jared. I can't believe this wonderful Friday morning's here, and I get to live it. I get to smile through it. I'm trying to cut back on coffee today, so pray for me. Thoughts and prayers. I appreciate it. Hashtag Joe's quitting coffee. You're cutting back on coffee. Wow. Quitters never, what is it? Winners never quit and quitters never win, but uh, hats off to you. Let me just ask. Why can't you believe that you're getting to experience this gorgeous Friday? Because if you think about it mathematically, it's really weird that we're here on Earth and we're an intelligent species and we get to feel love and art. And, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of things had a line for this to happen. Wow, you're right, man. I hope you wake up every day that introspective because that's, uh, that's deep as hell. I wasn't expecting that. Well, you're welcome. I watched a bunch of space docs or science documentaries lately and... Uh, it made me think, like, if you remove the religious aspect out of it, right? Because I understand, like, if you're a Catholic or whatever, or Buddhist, and you have your God put us here or whatever, but if you're not, and if you're just going off the numbers, man, did a ton of stuff have to happen just so me and you get to record this podcast. That's incredible. My wife and I accidentally had the religion conversation yesterday. Oh, no. That's always While we were at work. No, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, we do every now and then. Neither of us are overly religious. I am Jewish and she's Lutheran, so obviously we bring you know different religions to the table. Neither one of us are overly practicing. I would say growing up, I was probably more involved in my religion than she was because I got my bar mitzvah. Shout out to my bar mitzvah. Um, I, <laughs> but we, shout, we just, out. shout out to that thing that happened 29 years ago. No, 29 years ago. Wow, you had a ago. young one. Yeah, my, my math is a little off there. I, uh, I Danny Duperstein'd it for all you curb people. <laughs> Got to do it every 13 years. Uh, but no, we actually, she she's Facebook friends with somebody who is taking up atheism for Lent. And uh, like she's a devout Christian. She constantly posts about religion on Facebook. And she tries to see things from both sides. Like she's not a, I'm going to jam religion down your throat type of person. She's more of a, let's hear both sides of it. And my wife was talking about, how, you know, this friend of hers is experimenting with atheism, which just doesn't feel like something you experiment with. So No, I don't think that's something you give up for, you you do for Lent either. Right, yeah, it kind of feels weird, like, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm Catholic, I'm I'm, like you, I don't really practice my Catholicism, but like, I'm under the belief if there is a higher power, you know, going to Burger King doesn't make me, or going to church doesn't make me any better person than going to Burger King, makes me a hamburger. You know what I mean? So... I'm glad you said going to Burger King first. <laughs> yeah, I know. I messed up my own stupid joke, but it's just one of those things where if there's a higher power and whatever religion he prefers, I guess, I'm uh, just kind of hoping he'll, he just looks at our uh, good deeds and if we're good people, and then he'll be like, hey, Joe, you did just enough. Come on in. And then if there isn't one, then that's kind of scary, too, because then what the hell are we doing? True story, man. True story. All right. We don't need to get that. What happened? How do we start the podcast? Like, if people heard what we were talking about before the podcast and then how we got here, it's a very big, big swerve. It's like a 50-point swing in the basketball game. Yeah, we typically don't jump from line to line. We're kind of all over the place. Uh, We're the best best podcast ever. We are. You can ask anybody about our podcast, Jared, and you know what they tell you? 
What would they tell me? Man, we're the best podcast ever. Did you see him in his big boy truck yesterday? Oh, was- I did it. Listen, man, I didn't even care. If you like Trump, you still have to admit that was hilarious. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that was gold. Yeah, all right. So we're starting the show. Off talking he was about so happy to the, the truck thing. He was just so happy. We started our show off with religion and politics. I'm sure everybody's really happy with that. Tommy, we apologize. Everybody no, we don't. Possibly offended. No, we don't really. We just want to keep you all happy. So with that said, we're going to start our show off talking about college basketball. Yeah. But I'm going to hedge on that. We're not really going to talk about <laughs> basketball as much as we're going to talk about the coaching carousel, which took a major turn yesterday afternoon when it was announced that Georgetown is firing John Thompson III after back-to-back losing seasons. Uh, Thompson was a coach at Georgetown for 13 years. Of course, his father is a legend in college basketball, basketball at Georgetown, wherever you want to, you know, wherever you want to segment him to. John Thompson II is one of the greatest coaches of all time in the sport. Coached for 26 years at Georgetown, and now his son is out. Uh, Georgetown hasn't gotten past the round of 32 since the 2006-07 season. Of course, that was the year with Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green, and uh, it hasn't been a good run for him lately. So, Joe... You think Georgetown got it right by firing their coach? Yeah, there's layers to this, though, right? So I'm glad you brought up Big John. The whole deal here with Big John is he was still, like, very present at games. He's very respected and revered, which he should be by the university. They just built a wing at the university and named it after him. So, like, he's important, and the fear here is that, like, what happens now that they fired his son? Is he going to kind of disown the university? Because he is you know, why people know what, what what school Georgetown even is. You know what I mean? He put them on the map. Exactly. Yeah, he did. And he's pioneering, and he's transcendent, and he's super important to the history of basketball and beyond that for a multiple variety of reasons. I think that's a 30 for 30 they should do is Hoya Paranoia and George John Thompson, just him. Um, but uh, so this goes back a couple years, right? So John Thompson III runs a really primitive offense. It's really slow. I think we're seeing this happen with Tony Bennett at Virginia now. There's a mass transfer there. Players don't like playing in that offense because it's just boring and it's bad for their potential pro careers, all of this stuff. So, like, a couple years ago when he was getting out of Porter Jr. and Jeff Green and all those other guys, they offset some of it because he had had these super talented athletes that shined through his primitive offense. And then what ended up happening is college or high school players were like, hey, I don't want to play in that anymore. So he's yeah, not, I mean, he's not getting players. Jump, just to jump in real quick, you're absolutely right. He hasn't landed the recruits since he got Otto, Otto Porter back in 2011. He's only landed three top 50 recruits, and all of them came in the 2014 class. And as I mentioned, they've experienced back-to-back losing seasons. So something he's doing just isn't working. It's the offense. But he's, it's not an attractive destination. I wrote about this in what's the month before December? November. <laughs> November. In November, <laughs> I wrote about how. The issue with John Thompson III now is, all right, so you had Big John had an identity for the program. And whether you agreed with it or not, it made it cool and hip and fun for a lot of high school kids. Then when he left, he had the, yeah, the Craig era, I can't pronounce his last name, era, which uh, I got a text yesterday from a coach saying, hey, like maybe the Georgetown gig is not as great as everybody thinks it is. Go look back at Craig era Colson's or whatever his name is. Yeah. Ashley's Ash- Ashler. yeah, record, which was pretty abominable. But um, when John Thompson III came in, right, it was this revival. He's a legacy hire, all this stuff. And then, like, pretty quickly you realized, man, eventually he's going to drop. The recruits aren't going to come there. Like, you knew this pretty quickly because of the style offense they ran, and especially when they reduced the shot clock. Uh, I know it was only five seconds, 
But when you have a micromanaging coach like John Thompson III who wants to circle the wagon for 15 seconds before running an offensive set in earnest, that's going to be an issue. So, yeah, they totally got it right by firing him. There's direct repercussions with the John Thompson bet, uh, Big John bet, whether or not he's going to be okay with it. I imagine they talked to him at length. I hope they did at length before firing his son. But his son, I mean, back-to-back really bad seasons. Like, they were really, really awful this year. Yeah. Tremont Waters, who was their big-time recruit that was supposed to come in, he decommitted about two months ago. They have guys transferring out. They only have eight scholarship players on the roster, or that's projected to be on the roster for next season. That number is going to be even lower. So, uh, yeah, they had to make this move because I told you off air, and we'll get into this more about when we talk about who they should hire next, is you're one bad coaching hire away from being St. John's or DePaul. Because, like, I, it's easy to think about them as just bad programs now and that whole sleeping giants bit. But, like, they were once really, really good programs and then a couple really bad decisions, and you're gone. And especially with the Big East being the way it is now because you're, right. you're stacked with coaching. You have Chris Mack, you have Holtman, you have Cooley, you have Jay Wright. Like, those programs aren't going to let you be bad for long before you just get buried. Well, that's the other thing, too, is, I mean, we talk about the Big East just not being the Big East anymore, and Georgetown's been, you know, relatively near the bottom of the conference. Well, not really, because you always have DePaul and St. John's. Well, they, they finished but, worse than St. John's this year, I believe, in the conference. I believe they did as well, but but that's what I'm saying, is it's not the same Big East, and you would think with so many big programs leaving the conference and Georgetown kind of being one of these marquee names left behind, maybe they'd be able to find a little bit more success, but it's been the opposite of that. The last two years have probably been the worst two years this program's endured over the last, I don't know, three or four decades maybe. And, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, something needed to be done about this. This wasn't a wait and see, let's be patient and let this guy revive the program. It's gotten, you know, progressively worse over the last decade since he's taken over. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it, it's unfortunate, and I agree with you. I really hope that they, they discuss this with Big John, and I'd imagine that they did. I don't know how you don't. Big John is synonymous with the Georgetown program. Like, there's no Georgetown without him, and it's just it's it's a tough situation for them. They they were in a tough spot, but you can't hold on to to a coach that that isn't progressing the program, and you're losing, and you're not landing recruits, and you're playing ugly basketball. I mean, this was the right time for them to abandon ship. I thought. Yeah, if you hold on, like it's always it's going to be easier in hindsight to say whether it was a smart move or not, but. There's always this thing, like, especially because he's a legacy hire, right, because of, because of his father. But how long could you hold on before it goes from, yeah, we're just being patient to see if he can overcome or to holding on too long? And there's no, there's no real right answer to that. But back-to-back losing seasons, you're Georgetown. The top of the Big East is very strong, and it's, very, and it's coached very well, and they recruit very well. So, like, if you just held on to another year, you're just – inching closer to being St. John's and DePaul and being one of those teams in the bottom bottom three of the Big East every year. And then you're just an afterthought before you know it. So I think what this does is why people still care about the program nationally and why co- and apparently they pay really well. John Thompson III was making over $3 million a year, which I had no idea. That's a pretty big number for a college coach. And uh, so if they're going to operate on a similar budget, they should be able to get pretty much the coach of their choosing. Um, like with, you know, within realistic aspects of it, they're not going to be able to get like Sean Miller or something, but you know what I mean? And, um, I think now you got to strike why people still care because what happened with the, using St. John's or deposit example, you had St. John's, Luke Hardesek held on a little too long. 
wrong hire, wrong hire, Mike Jarvis, sink the program, and here we are with St. John's. DePaul, their run wasn't as great as St. John's's peak run, and we're and, you, and the, the, theirs was a little more inconsistent, but they're, they're now retreading coaches that left their own program. So, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's right, and it's it's good that you bring up, you know, where where do we go from here? And I think that that's that's obviously the big question for Georgetown moving forward. Are they still a, a desirable destination? Is this going to be a job that's going to land, you know, a top coaching candidate, Joe? Um, oh, this gets tricky. It depends on Big John's involvement. He's, if he's involved, if you're a coach, do you want him him looming over you? Do you know what I mean? Like, even though he wouldn't be involved in anything. If he's there, are you gonna? Is that gonna be looming over you, Big John's legacy and all this stuff? Although I think with his son getting fired, at least outside the university, the idea of Big John, even though it shouldn't decrease, I think people will care a little bit less if Big John likes to hire or not. You know what I mean? So uh, on the outside, I'm sure the university should still care. But if you're a good coach, and right now the Indiana job's still open, and then after that, I think Georgetown's the next best job. Um, you, that area is the DMV is ripe with talent. I think if you could uh, reinsert an identity into that program, which it's lacked for the better, like I know the, the the losing goes back two years, but it's been lacking for about five or six, is that you could really do well there. Um, it's just a whether or not if they're going to operate on that three million dollars or more a year budget. Yeah, I think you could get a. Now I know some of the names already rumored. Danny Hurley. I don't understand the fit of Danny Hurley. Patrick Ewing. I told you off air. I think, I think people love the idea of Patrick Ewing going back to Georgetown. I think the risk there is you just came off a legacy hire that didn't work, and you're going to do another legacy hire. And I know he has more coaching experience than Chris Mullen. Um, I man, I'd just be really nervous about that because if you bring him in, you have to give him a long leash because he's a legacy hire. And if it doesn't work out, you're St. John's. And, right. uh, like that, there's no, there's no coming back from the, this hire is so important to that program that I think you try to hit a home run. You try to get, preferably you try to get in the coach from the DMV. It's actually a shame Shaka Smart took the Texas job. Um, he do great at Georgetown. Um, it's also a shame Will Wade took the job before he took it. Do you know what I mean? So you, I guess you're gonna look at you're gonna look at the usual suspects. I know Tommy Amaker's name's being being rumored. I don't know if I love that fit either. Um, I don't think I'm gonna like no matter who they hire. I don't think I'm gonna love the fit initially until I see what they do after. Because the, the first thing the new coach has to do is recruit his brains out because they they don't have a roster next season. And, uh, uh, the usual suspects are rumored: Archie Miller, Tommy Amaker, um, Tom Crean's name is rumored. Um, I think Tom Crean actually would be a good hire. Even yeah, if actually, him, sure. Because at least he, because they also have an issue selling out the, the uh, arena, their home gym down there. So I think at least with Tom Crean, you're like, yeah, is he not a great in-game coach? Sure. But he's going to get you super awesome recruits. And even if it's only a short-term fix, like even if he's only going to be there three or four years, and you're gonna only going to make the NCAA only, like air quotation marks, two of those four years, it'll restabilize that program. Do you know what I mean? So... It's gonna be a really interesting couple of days, and I'm I'm ex- this is no, I'm not like I'm not I'm not happy John Thompson like I never get happy when somebody gets fired, but I'm excited to see what they do next because I think it's gonna be really telling how coaches view the program and how the program views itself. For sure, I I kind of want to talk about the Patrick Ewing aspect to this a little bit more because 
sure, he, he's a legacy hire because, you know, he's probably the greatest player in the history of the program. Um, obviously, you know, in the NBA, he's been an assistant coach for 15 years or so now. And he's been looking for a head coaching job, was reportedly really close to getting one this past offseason until uh, Dave Yorger got fired from Memphis and he swooped up the Sacramento Kings job. But Pat Ewing's one of these guys that a lot of head coaches in the NBA speak very highly of. And uh, it's no surprise that this was kind of leaked, I guess, or reported by Woj, who is very close with Steve Clifford and both Van Gundys, who have had Patrick Ewing on their benches. Uh, I think Woj has a pretty good relationship with Ewing himself as well. And Woj has kind of been the one that's out there. You know, you told me before we started recording that he reported yesterday that Ewing wasn't overly interested in the job. And then this morning he reports that Georgetown is, you know, heavily considering Ewing for this job. But just just to get back to Pat, I mean, you, you compared him to Chris Mullen, I guess, in the aspect that he doesn't have the experience coaching in college, for one. For two, you know, he's kind of more of a name and a popular uh, alum of the program. And, you know, you're hoping more for shock value, I guess, than and substance as a coach, but do you feel like Pat Ewing could kind of be, you know, in terms of just being a coach, a, a better answer here than maybe some of the other options? I do. Like, listen, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to like, because I know I probably sound like I was shoo-shooing the idea. I just think George Hone has to be sure. Um, like you said, he has a really good reputation in the coaching community. It's just, man, is he going to be okay going into a high school kid's house and kissing butt? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is like Patrick Ewing, all-time great, kissing a 17 and 18 year old butt, right? Telling them how great. Like, I don't know. And I think what he'd be able to do, which Mullen, Mullen has done at uh, well at St. John's, is surround himself really with really uh, good assistant coaches, like a recruiter, a in-game coach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I also think like Mullen is more of a figurehead at St. John's than anything else. Ewing would actually be a coach, coach. Because he has actual experience coaching, um, I just I don't think he should be their top choice. Is all is all, all my point is like yeah you have to, they have to say he's heavily considered because he's a legacy hire, um, but or a legacy candidate. But I don't think he should be like I if you gave me a list of all available coaches Tom Crean, Archie Miller, even Danny Hurley. Um, if if they're willing to buy out, if Shaka Smart for some reason hates Texas and they're willing to pay in a massive buyout, um, by the way, that's not happening. I'm just saying I think Shaka Smart would work so well at Georgetown. Um, like all these other all these other college coaches that are proven, I would take all of them over Patrick Ewing because very rare. Like a lot of NBA guys have gone to the WCC and haven't panned out. And I know that's a different conference, a smaller conference, less resources. Um, but outside of like Dan Marley coaching for Grand Canyon, which still isn't eligible for the NCAA tournament, I can't think of a guy that came straight from the NBA. I'm, I know there are, but that, that came straight from the NBA and, and had like massive success. Larry Brown, I guess, but I think he, he started in college first. Right. And also in the same respect, though, I mean, Ewing is a bigger name than a lot of these guys. And I know maybe that won't matter as much to this, you know, the coming generations of college basketball players who obviously didn't grow up getting to watch Patrick Ewing, but... We're talking about, you know, a top 25 to, to 50 player all time, uh, you know, probably one of the top college basketball players of all time, too. Maybe he has a greater pull, but I think the point that you brought up about is he ready to go into, you know, a 17 or a 16 year old's house and kiss their butt and make them feel like they're a better basketball player than he is or whatever. I, I don't know that I could see Pat Ewing doing that, knowing all that we know about him. No, if they hire him, right? Like, I'm not going to be go right in some think piece how it's a horrible hire. I just think 
And because I don't know, like, we're not in the rooms. We don't know who's realistic candidates or not. Like, it's very right. easy for us to say Archie Miller, Tom Crean, Danny Hurley, insert big name Coach X from School Y. But we don't know if that's real. Like, if that's any potential chance. Tommy Amaker is going to be a really popular name um, because he could make a lot, lot more money with Georgetown than he is now at Harvard. But he's building something really special at Harvard. Right. So that, and, and Amaker's failed at the big levels coaching. So he might be more happy at Harvard building something special there because now he's getting four-star recruits to Harvard, which is insane. If ever there was a time for him to make that leap, though, and go up to a bigger program, oh, it's this is feasibly the best opportunity he's going to get because I don't know that that Duke job is ever going to open up for him. Right, and I don't know if he's the number one shot. Like, it's probably Chris I Collins at this right, point. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think but, so. But uh, in Georgetown, like, I still, I'm still of the belief that Georgetown's a very good job. And if they're willing to pay a coach over $3 million a year and you have that recruiting pipeline down there, I think if you're a good coach, you're interested. And, and if you're Patrick Ewing, if you surround yourself with the right people, it could work. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really excited to find out what everybody thinks of the program, coaches and the program itself. You see, John's kind of proved after the, the Mike Jarvis fiasco that, hey, we're not going to spend as much on the program, you know what I mean, as we have in the past. And, like, if you're going to factor in inflation all that nonsense. And uh, DePaul's, done, DePaul's gotten way off the limb going, like, yeah, we care about basketball, but we're not going to put any of the basketball money back into it. Um, so... Because none of these schools have football, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see if Georgetown's willing to still spend money. It will be interesting. We will find out soon. And it'll definitely be something that we talk about more moving forward. But, Joe, while we're talking about the Big East, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the upset of the night last night and feasibly, you know, the upset of the tournament. Yeah, I game. got some. And that's... What you, <laughs> you're weird. And that's that's, that's funny. That's Xavier beating Arizona last night. Uh, Joe, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it was it was a really good night of basketball, and we've kind of tried our hardest not to talk about, you know, games because it just has such a short shelf life of, you know, people wanting to listen about. But what do you think of Xavier's win, and do you think they have a chance to, to move on to the Final Four? Man, I didn't think they had a chance to get out of the first round. They have no Edmund Summer. Um, they've been injured pretty much off and on all season. And... Uh, no, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm going to say no because eventually I'll be right, but I cannot believe they won last night. Yeah, Trayvon Blewett had just a tremendous game, and again, you know, I mentioned this to you before, it's kind of tough watching Arizona with, with Raleigh Alkins not looking 100%. I mean, every shot he puts up looks terrible. I'm not making excuses for Zona. It was a really close game. Xavier just pulled it out at the end, and I mean, they could be one of these teams of destiny. I don't know. Team of destiny. Well, how'd that work out for Michigan? Uh, not great. Although that was another game came down to the last shot. And, uh, my boy, my ball, Derek, my ball, my boy, Derek Walton gets a good <laughs> shot at the end of the game. and just comes up short. That, that was a really awesome game. Uh, I'm glad that Olsen won for bracket reasons, but, uh, it would have been fun to watch Michigan keep that, keep that streak running. Oh man. I love Oregon. I love watching Oregon play. Keep giving for me sure. Oregon. For sure. What games are you looking forward to this weekend, Joe? All of them. Yeah, there's not I mean, that many left. You know what I mean? Like this, like so, like we record on Friday. There's games tonight, and then after that, man, like there's not a lot left to college basketball. So yeah, I'm excited for the rest. I think I'm going to try to get my wife really drunk tonight so Ooh. she can fall asleep early, so I could watch UCLA Kentucky. Because oh, that game's gonna be so much fire. That, that game's gonna be ridiculous, and I mean, 
you know, NBA prospects aside, these are just two of the more fun teams to watch in college basketball, especially if you like offense. Which yeah, I mean, because UCLA doesn't play defense. Kentucky's at all. If hit or miss with their defense. Yeah, so th- this this could feasibly be a 100-point game, which never rarely, rarely happens in college. Now that I put the jinx on, it's going to be 68-65. <laughs> you think we're going to see any more upsets this weekend, Joe? Uh, no. I mean, maybe. Does, but- does Butler have a shot at beating North Carolina? I don't think so. All right. Good talk. How about South Carolina? They're playing really good basketball. Really, really good basketball. But, no. The Cinderius Thornwell boat is going to run out of steam is what you're telling me. You know what's great about Cinderius Thornwell? A lot of people are finding finding out about him for the first time. And I think everybody's reaction is, oh, he's only (laughs) 6'5". Do you know what I mean? Like, because his number, like, you'd think he was like a 6'9 power forward. You know what I mean? But he's 6'5". He's a beast. He's an animal. Oh, he's great. That's going to be a fun game, too. It's what I feel bad for him. I wish he was three inches taller because he has no NBA future because he's 6'5". Them's the breaks, Joe. Are Them's the breaks. What did I say last week? Them's the kicks? Something like that. I mean, that works, too. It's just not just not them the breaks. All right, Joe, you ready to introduce our newest segment? Yeah, Mr. Ed, hit the music. You already heard the conversation a few thousand times over. Jared and Joseph beat a dead horse. <laughs> All right, so obviously Joe and I record on Mondays and Fridays, so we miss a lot of things that happen in between that we always really, really want to talk to. And this is a topic that's been beaten to death to extents, but we need to chime in as well, and that's obviously the NBA rest issue that we have. This stems back, you know, I mean, this has been going on for years now, but really the latest offense, I suppose, was Saturday night's Cavs-Clippers game in which LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love all sat out. Uh, the Cavs played on Friday night, then had this marquee game Saturday night. So the Cavs trio of stars was getting their rest in because they didn't want to play in the second game of back-to-back this close to the end of the season. They are still the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, so they're preserving their guys. Joe, do you think it's okay that, that the Cavs players rested? What's your stance on rest in general? How do we fix this is- this issue? Who are the real losers here? Well, Tell me all of it. Well, you're the loser. No. Um. All right. So from the players' standpoint, there's science that backs this up. I get it. Player standpoint and from the NBA teams protecting their own players because they're trying to be like the good teams are trying to be good for playoff time. So I get it from their standpoint. I also get it better than I got it in the past from the NBA standpoint that they have to make their advertisers happy because when those guys don't play, nobody's watching those games and that's not great. Um, as far as the fans, listen, man, LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love and Dan Gilbert, for that matter, don't have an obligation to appease away fans. Do you know what I mean? Like, when they go on the road? Yeah. So I don't really care about that. Like, they have slightly more obligation to their home fans, but these guys, all tend to usually, they tend to rest on the road. And like Greg Popovich said, yeah, like, we get it. It stinks for the fans. And I get it. It stinks. Um, but, like, what, the, what Adam Silver is trying to do now by trying to figure it out and he sent that uh, strongly worded memo that there'll be repercussions or whatever. He's not doing that for the fans. He's doing that for the advertisers. And um, it's complicated, man. Like, schedule this. The NBA season's too long. And it forces back-to-backs. And when you're somebody like LeBron James, who's played so much throughout his career and played in the Olympic Games, yeah, man, he, he gets a, should get a day off. And, like, this idea that they have, like, I'm going to go to, like, the lowest common denominator of Twitter here when they go, well, they get three months off and blah, 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 blah. 
Man, they have a tougher. They still have a tougher schedule than you because they have, the, when they're season when they're in season, they're never off. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's difficult. In reality, what they should do is they should cut the season by 20 games, but they're not going to do that because it's a financial nightmare. Um, so outside of that, I guess you're going to have to extend the season, like in length, not of games, but of the time it's been played in to cut back on the back-to-backs. Or you're just going to have to be like, because the, play, the players are just going to have to lie, and they're going to put on the report, LeBron James, Kyrie, Love, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love aren't playing because of a stomach illness, even though they're just resting. Yeah, it, it's really tough. Um, I mean, I tend to side with the players, especially you have a guy like LeBron who you know, has already played more playoff games than Carl Malone, John Stockton, and Michael Jordan. Robert Parrish as well. Like, it's not like LeBron's a guy. Right. It's not like LeBron's a guy who it's like, you know, he's lazy. He doesn't work. He hasn't missed, you know, serious time in a season at all. He He's always there. The guy plays hard. He works hard. His minutes you per know, game is insane. Right. Especially this year. You know, he's in year 14 and he's playing the most minutes of his career or the most minutes he's played in like five years or something like that. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. And I, I understand fans being upset. Like, I get it. You pay a lot of money to go to a game, but you're not guaranteed to see these players play. I, I, I guess I just kind of understand all sides here, and I want to say that there isn't a solution. Uh, Jake, Jake Weiner, who we write with a lot, actually made a really great point, and I've seen this kind of echoed in, on Twitter and all over the place, how maybe they just need to strategize, you know, not having second games double headers for, for some teams coming in these marquee matchups, because that's typically where we see the rest. And that's what hurts the NBA's brand, I guess, is when you turn on ABC on a Saturday night to watch LeBron and LeBron's in street clothes, you know, not injured or anything. And not that you want him to be injured or not that being injured would make it more okay for him to be sitting out. Like, it's fine that these guys get rest. We're all entitled to to take a day off from work if we're not feeling great or if we're tired. Like, it's just, it comes with the territory. It's just really, it's unfortunate. But the NBA, just like all live entertainment, is buyer beware. You're not guaranteed to see what you want to go and see. It's just, it's like if you go to a game and it's a blowout, are you going to complain that your team didn't show up? No, it's just a, the way it works sometimes. I, again, don't think that there's necessarily a real solution here. I just, what bothers me the most is this then turns into LeBron not having heart or LeBron not being, you know, Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan never would have sat out a game. And it just, it these kind of conversations, when it involves certain players, brings up the craziest of crazy conversations. And that's what drives me the... the the craziest, even though I just used the word crazy 15 times in a 20-second period. It's just, it, it turns into, you know, what's wrong with LeBron James? How could LeBron James do this? Everybody in the NBA does this. The Spurs do this, and Greg Popovich, you know, gets credit for being savvy, but LeBron does this, and LeBron is, you know, doesn't care about the fans and has no heart <laughs> and doesn't care about playing basketball. So, obviously, narratives come from bad places, and we're getting bad narratives that come And lazily call it racism. I mean, yeah. The, That's all over Twitter. I mean, like, you can't ignore that a lot of this is people projecting race, race into the, the, the discussion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I want to look for it real quick. And I don't mean to give any credit or any attention to the Colin Cowherd show. But this tweet comes out from Christine Leahy, who oh, is man. his co-host or whatever. Pro player, she then she becomes not pro player. NBA players have too much power mainly in wrestling and creating their own super team. Now we're left with only a few real contenders. So this tweet about NBA players having too much power comes from Greg Popovich wanting to rest his guys to LeBron, you know, sitting out a game. Who knows where the instruction came from? I mean, reports are that it came from coaching and management that LeBron, Kyrie, and Love should sit that game out. 
But this whole idea of players resting second nights of back-to-backs to preserve themselves for the playoffs, you know, at the request of management, comes back to the players having too much power because it's racially coded. And well, it's not to much- mention it's smart. Like, even if it was LeBron's idea, it's like he's here to win an NBA championship, not win a game in March. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, this isn't complicated because if when because this will all be forgotten about when the playoffs start, and then if LeBron's legs aren't underneath him because he's tired in this in the second round of the playoffs, and the Cavaliers get knocked off, he's going to get killed, and nobody's going to go, yeah, but he played in those back-to-back games. Remember that you guys thought were all super important. Like, no, nobody's I mean, going to say that for him. If so, they do, though, they're going to be like LeBron played too many minutes this year. What was he doing? What were the Cavs doing? How stupid of them! No, they'll just kill him. I mean, it depends. It depends. I guess it depends who. Like the narrative, right. the the super narrative people that don't want LeBron to ever get any credit right. won't won't want to listen to it. The people that could deal in nuance and and don't mind the conversation being more than uh, cliche terms like heart and effort and grit and tough. Um, wow, it's just infuriating. I hate this conversation. Like, I I I think there are some fixes. I think if the NBA wants everybody to care more about it, you break the NBA up. NBA season into two separate seasons. The first um, half, the whoever finishes first in their conference is guaranteed a spot in the playoff. Yeah, man. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, kind of like how they do a lot of like, like I know locally in the state of Pennsylvania in high school basketball, if you win the first, half, you win the first half championship, and no matter what happens in the second half of the season, you're guaranteed a spot in the state playoffs. And if they want to, if they want to make the whole season matter to the point where guys are going to be um, decreasing years off their, because that's part of the thing too. Greg Popovich. Pavlovich made the point, and we don't have a ton of data on this, but it seems to work out true for Tim Duncan, Stoney Parker, and Manu Ginobili, especially Ginobili now, is he believes it extends years onto these players' careers by giving them periodic rest here and there. And if that's the case, yeah, man, let them rest, because let them maximize their earning potential, and what's wrong with seeing Manu Ginobili with no hair in 2017? Right. And again, you know, it, it is unfortunate for the fans that go to these games and feel cheated, but th- this could happen any night. Well, they're I mean, already getting cheated because they offer those three D, like those tier packages, right? So like before the season begins, they lump, like if you're a Memphis fan, I'm just going to use Memphis as the example. They're going to give you, you could buy like a Spurs, Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, Golden State package, right? And you get the, and that's going to, those three games will cost way more than any other three games. And you buy that before the season, so a bunch of the, and and these so the NBA is already the NBA owners are already ripping you off there, right? It's already not fair because you're not guaranteed those teams are going to be good, you're not guaranteed those te- those those rosters will be healthy, and you're not guaranteed that your team's going to be good. The only guarantee you you have is that those all those teams involved will field the roster, and their game a game will be played. Hey, but you're yeah. paying more for the product five months before that game will even be played. Five months before those games will even be played. For more money, do you know what I'm saying? Like by design, the fans can always be ripped off here, and yeah. the fans do have power. If they really want to express their power, they have to stop watching and going, and that's not going to happen. So, I mean, I, I empathize a little bit for the fan, but it's 2017. You could buy your ticket the day of the game on StubHub. So shop smarter. I know we had this conversation before, and you killed me. Right. But shop smarter. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Again, I don't necessarily feel like there's any kind of main solution for everybody to win. Just, you know... Well, I, there isn't. It, That's a good point. Like, there's no, there's no, like, fix-all here. 
No, there isn't. It's and again, you know, you you feel bad. You don't feel bad for you know the the advertisers or anything like that. Like you're gonna drop. The no, NBA. you do feel bad for them because they paid up front for a product, and if they're not getting it when on a premier game, they're not getting their money's worth. Like yeah, it's easy to bash these billion dollar companies. Oh, poor Pepsi or poor Coke or whoever. Listen, man, they paid for something. They should get but what they paid for. But realistically, this is an NBA 2K, and you could turn injuries off. I mean, anything happens. It's, right. It's just, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, like, I understand why they're mad. Right. If, if you pay me for something and I'm not doing it, that person who paid me for it should be upset about it. Because what's happening here is, and this is the NBA's fault, not really the players or the coaches or the management, is they're scheduling, like you mentioned before, the back-to-backs leading into these premier games that are beyond ABC or ESPN or TNT. Right. Again, though, it's a buyer beware for everybody without a solution. Just hopefully the NBA is a little more mindful. And, you know, I, I heard somebody bring it up. I'm not sure if it was Zach Lowe, but I heard somebody recently mention how, you know, it's just it's difficult to schedule an NBA season with everything that goes into it, with arenas that have other events going on in them. But hopefully moving forward, the NBA could just be a little more mindful about having these marquee games on the second night of back-to-backs for, for teams that are involved. They should, they should. I mean, this is probably a stupid idea because it'll decrease the fun in the short series, but they should kind of do maybe the Major League Baseball product where they, if the Spurs are set to play Golden State, they play three games in a row. Ooh. I know, yeah. I, don't, I don't love it either. I don't, I don't. But if this is like, if we're trying to do something here to prevent rest and, and lessen travel... You're not. They're not taking games away from the season. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I bro. don't love it either. I don't love it at all. But I'm just saying. I hear you. All Hashtag right. don't love it. Bad idea. Sorry. Hashtag dead horse is dead. All right. Let's move Burr. on and let's finish our show with some AMAs. Go. Seal. Hit the music. All right, so we have quite a few today. We actually have six. I, I yeah, because we're I, famous. Leading, we're really famous. Am I leading off, or are you? No, I off? am. Is you're gonna read uh, friend text after I read uh, Jay Anderson here? Do it. All right, this is from friend of the program. Because you're all our friends, Jay Anderson at here go Jay again. Is he gets the show obviously by tweeting this? Is the Earth round or flat? He does get the show. Uh, the Earth is not flat. Final, um, final, final answer. No, but did you ever? Do you know who AJ Styles is? The wrestler. I yes. mean, I know who he is, but I don't like know him. Know him. All right. Well, I don't know him personally either. But he, so there was a story about him discussing how he likes to be. He likes. He's like us. He enjoys reading about conspiracy theories. He doesn't really believe them, right? So they were asking him about the flat Earth stuff, and he's like, "Well, you know, like I get why somebody might be silly enough to believe." that there's a flat earth because if you don't trust NASA, you could say all those pictures are faked and yada, yada, yada. But his proof of why the earth was round, right? So he was discussing like, if you don't trust NASA and you don't trust this and blah, 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 his proof was that if you're a sniper, you have to factor in gravity and the dip of the earth into your snipe shots. That's why he believes the earth is round. I thought that was a really weird way, weird reason to believe the earth was round. 
It's a little morose, but I get it. It's it's data backed, I suppose. Yeah, but like out of all the things, he didn't. It's not because of NASA's pictures or, right. I mean, the bajillions of other scientific facts. It was because of a, a sniper's way they have to measure their shot. <laughs> Pretty cool by me. I, I, kind by of, the way, if the Earth was flat, right? Let's pretend the Earth was flat for a second. Man, that would suck. Because what are we? Just a carpet in space? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, maybe it'd be cool. I don't know. I, speaking of Earth being flat, a comment from Shaq came out because Shaq was jokingly supporting Kyrie Irving's claim about the Earth being flat and said, no, I don't really believe that crap. I don't believe anything I say. And like by the end of the conversation was like, when you see me in the studio talking about basketball, that's the only time I'm being serious, which was a little baffling to me because he kind of sounds like the biggest idiot. Of whoa, all whoa, Shaq. whoa. Not that one check would eat us both. Stop provoking what? the big man. Are you kidding me? There are elephants that are idiots that would eat us both. That's a bad example. Well, elephants, elephants don't understand, and they don't understand us. And I don't mean to compare Shaq to an elephant. I just think I think his basketball takes are terrible. That's really what I'm uh, trying that, to say. Okay, that's better. You called him an idiot. That was the one. Well, I said he sounds like an idiot when he talks about basketball because he comes Shaq, out to- I think you're great. I'm a little leery of your takes. Not sure you really follow the NBA game that much anymore. But I do not think you sound like an idiot. I think, right, I guess I should clarify. I don't think you sound like an idiot either. Uneducated, maybe. But I'm glad we're, oh, that's worse. In the sport, in the sport of basketball. We're addressing him like uh, he's in the room with us and we know him. I'm just definitely afraid. Shaq is petty, man. You ever see him go after, like when he finds out somebody talks nonsense about him, he goes after them. I fear for Dan Lebitard every day. Shaq is the type of Well, the best part is in his two guys who like yelled at him. At Shaq? Yeah. I could not imagine his two guys yelling at Shaq. I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? You're right. All right, Joe, let's move on. Next question. I guess I'm reading this one. We're going back to sports for a minute. This is from my Ooh. friend. My dear friend Matthew Frank texted me and asked if we're still taking questions for today's show. Serial I said, killer. we're always taking questions. So Matt asked. He's a serial which, killer. Two first names. Which, which I remember project- this guy. He asked before. He did. Matt, Matt's been on the show. Friend of the show. Which projected NBA first round playoff matchup will be the most surprisingly <laughs> interesting? Whatever one the heater in. That you know, I kind of feel the same way. Matt adds the surprisingly interesting caveat to that, so I feel like maybe we can't say that. But the the Cavs Heat is the projected matchup right now, and I mean, one LeBron against his old team, two Dion Waiters against his old team. I mean, maybe that forty shots a game to prove maybe that should be right. Maybe that should be number one here is Dion Waiters against his old team. I I don't know. That's that's exciting. I mean, looking around the rest of it, we have you have Boston, Indiana. That's meh. Nah. Uh, Washington, Washington, Milwaukee could be fun. Milwaukee's been red hot since they got Chris Middleton back. Uh, Toronto, Atlanta, neither of those teams are overly exciting. Nah. Uh, you, have, you have the Utah Clippers matchup right now. Nah. That, that's a, No, that, that's a good matchup. Those two teams played a really good game a few weeks ago, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by that. Uh, Who are the Lakers playing? That was actually like last week. The Lakers are playing. <laughs> going to say something inappropriate, so I'm not going to say anything. Uh, the Lakers are currently the worst team in the Western Conference, so they are not playing basketball. In- well, they are playing basketball, just not well, and not in another month and a half. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm with you here. The answer is clearly Cleveland-Miami. I mean, to, to round everything out, actually, you have the Spurs and Memphis. That's not the one I was actually in. But you have Houston-Oklahoma City as a matchup right now, and Harden-Westbrook is, is fun. And your boy, your boy uh, DeMontis, who I don't even know if he's still playing basketball. I haven't heard his name since November or so. But, um... Yeah, I think Cleveland Miami is the overwhelming favorite here. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's the obvious answer. And 
then what's going to happen is Cleveland will beat them in four games. Yeah, for sure. Although <laughs> Miami again, I Miami's been the best team since the All Star break, correct? Like my record wise. Last last I looked, they've been like twenty one and six, or like twenty two and six over their last, you know, however. But isn't the, the White side just get hurt and is he out for like six weeks? Is that what just happened? I don't think so. Deion Waiters is dealing with an ankle. Oh, the Deion Waiters. I'm sorry. Yeah, Deion Waiters, man. That dude. I don't know. We talked about this last. I think on Monday. We don't know if he figured it out or if he just is you know playing well in a contract year but he's been really good yeah he, like for he's real been, yeah I, I i don't know what to think of him i don't know if it's just uh he's playing in miami and miami's making him look good i it's hard for me to ever have the confidence to make a statement like he figured it out i mean this is a guy who's looked clueless you know through stretches of his career by stretches i mean the vast majority of it i'll, but I'll still, but the last like for three months. <laughs> he, he was solid in the playoffs for Oklahoma City. I mean, he wasn't terrible on that team. He wasn't great. I just, I, I don't know if this is a, he's doing really well with Spo in Miami or if he's just been awesome. But I, I don't want to take, you know, anything away from him. He's been one of the more fun players to watch in the NBA over the last couple months. And I hope he's healthy in time for the playoffs because this team's been a lot of fun to watch and, and root for. But you're right, Joe. Watch. A- ask me the next question, which is about a team that's not fun to root for. What do you mean? Not fun? Oh, you want me to go to the next sports one? All right. Uh, from Class John at StubHub with two Bs. Um, Hornets X comments on going full triangle in seventeen eighteen. Who on the current roster will definitely be back for next season? All right. So for those of you who are new to this program and aren't big NBA fans, Hornacek is obviously the Knicks coach, and the Knicks are the team that's not fun to watch, root for, talk about, do anything. But uh, the Knicks apparently are going to run the triangle next season. The triangle and only the triangle. Cool, cool, cool. In regards to who's going to be back, uh, I mean, they, they have a bunch of guys still under contract for next season. Derek Rose is not one of them. Uh, there's been talk about whether or not he'll be coming back. I, I'm going to take the under, especially if the Knicks want to run the triangle next year. But just going up and down their roster and trying to guess who would be back and who plays a role in the triangle... There's all this talk about Carmelo Anthony and whether or not the Knicks are going to trade him. I'm going to guess he's back. Joe Kim Noah, nobody is taking that contract. Uh, Courtney Lee's under contract. Wouldn't be surprised to see him get traded just because he offers value and the Knicks may not be able to win, so maybe they get rid of him. Lance Thomas is under contract. I think he is back. I think they have plans for him moving forward. Oh, are you going to go through the whole roster? I mean, the question was who's going to be back. I didn't say like, all of them, but these whatever three guys. Sure. I mean, I don't know who's not going to be back. Well, then Kyle, why are you answering the player by player? Kyle O'Quinn will probably Clash not be on, back. Clash on, you're banned from the show. I don't want you listening anymore or sending any questions. This is a horrible question. I want my five minutes back. Kyle, it, it hasn't even been two minutes. You spent more time talking about, I don't know, Papa John's. Which Kyle is funner. O'Quinn, Kyle O'Quinn will probably be He's... traded because he has a tradable contract. And the Knicks have a lot of good big men. Uh, Mendozkis Kazminskis, I think, oh, will God. be back. Hernan Gomez is back. Jason Randall, what's going on with Jason Randall? I think Jason Randall's probably gone, but I'm, I'm rooting for him. He's, I hope he's back. He's right. got a tradable contract. The Knicks just don't do well with young players, so we will see Marshall Plumley back. That that's it. We're yeah. done. Was that that bad, Joe? Yes. All right. Next question from your best friend <laughs> slash a lover, Alex Kaloje, who I don't know why you guys are so obsessed with fighting. Like FanRag must really be Fight Club. I don't know what you guys do. Alex asks if you and Jared were in a steel cage with me. So it's just you and I versus Alex, and we fought to the death. Who wins, and how long does the match go? All right, this is easy. One, AK admitted to never fighting in his life. I have a bunch of fights under my belt. I'm imagining you have at least a couple, right? 
Yeah. Now, I understand he's ripped and he's big and he's muscular. There's two of us. We have fighting experience. He doesn't. Still cage match. That means it's no disqualifications. We could have Tom Flurry up her sleeve. I think I'd just bring a knife in and shiv him, and the match would be over in a couple <laughs> minutes while you're distracting him. Wow. I was not thinking we were going to go the shiv route, uh, but, I mean, it is a fight to the death, so I, I suppose it's not a bad idea. Right. Like if, he, if, it, if it was, like, a normal sanctioned fight and then we couldn't cheat, yeah, maybe we'd lose, but he has no fighting experience. It's a fight to the death in a cage. I'm bringing the shiv. You're going to distract him, and I'm just going to go behind him and poke him in the neck with the shiv. Wow, yeah, I was thinking we could even just take him without the weaponry. You know, I figure we have four feet between us. We're just kicking him in the nuts and the knees. <laughs> and stop. Like, we're going to win this fight. I, yeah, I don't yeah. think we're going to lose. I don't care how jacked he is. It's two of us. Well, like, like I, granted, I haven't thrown a, a punch in, like, ten years, right? So my arm might fall off. But I've had, I've actually fought. He hasn't fought anybody. He's in really good shape, though, and I feel like we're both in terrible shape. Oh, we are. Like, we might die getting to the ring, like of asthma or diabetes or something. Right, probably both. Uh, I in that respect, I mean, he's got us in that in that aspect. Like he could feasibly just you know kind of run around for a little. Oh, bit. Oh, the fight goes longer than two out. minutes. We're toast. Right, that's the thing. That that's that's that other aspect of this is time, which he, he obviously asked. I, I think we win this in in probably about three minutes. I say we win this almost instantly because, like I said, game plan is we get in the ring, you distract him. Maybe I let him start punching and like ground and pound you, so he's distracted and got in the moment, and that's then I shoot him. I don't think we can give him the momentum of having, you know, a leg up on, on one of us. Well, he's going to have to be distracted. With one, he can't literally punch both of us at the same time. So why he's punching he, me or he's punching you or attempting to punch, the other person knifes him. All right. There you go. Alex, you're, you heard that? Watch your back, bud. Yeah. Be careful, buddy. Shit, yeah. All right, Joe, you're up. Uh, we doing Castillo next? Uh, yeah, we'll do Michael Castillo. Uh, from at Michael Castillo, you've got the freedom to trespass for one night anywhere in the world without the fears of security or repercussions, I guess. Where where are you going? I wish I had a really good answer for this. It's such a good question that it's stumping me so hard, and I'm really boring. I might just, like, go to Madison Square Garden and play basketball. You know, that was my first thought, but I have another one, Area 51. Oh, you and the aliens. Man, I would like to, like, listen, I, I, I don't have to go there and find out super great secrets, but it'd be kind of neat to be the only non-super highly classified ranking dude to, like, figure out what's, find out what's going on there. I tell yeah, you. I think the answer to this definitely has to be, you know, like, somewhere really exclusive where you just can't go. I think I'm I, I th- Madison Square Garden, by the way, was the first thing that popped in my head, like, just go there and shoot around. Yeah, we're a couple dorks. Um, I mean, it'd be awesome. I would. That's, like, my dream is to play basketball at Madison Square Garden. But I feel like we need to use this for, like, greater good. So I think your Area 51 answer is good. Like, I, I'm thinking, like, the White House. Like, go to the White House while, like, everybody there is, like, there. And I'm just walking around like a fly on the wall there. Like, I think that's another aspect of this is if you could be a fly on the wall anywhere, where would it be? That's a good one. The White House, um, the Pentagon. Like, then, then there's a ton of places. Like, if you're being a fly in the wall. But that's not what he's asking. He's just saying, like, we could go visit somewhere. Right. Right. But I think I mean, the fly in the wall one opens up so many more doors because then it's pr- pretty much everywhere you'd want to be because you want to know what people like. Heck, I'd be a fly in the wall at your house and see what your life's like when I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it's not creepy, but yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It'd be it'd be good to get that insider access to, to Jay Mintz. Um I really wish I had like a really good answer for this because I think it's such a good question. It's really thoughtful. We're such Northeast losers, though, because we both thought of Madison Square Garden. Yeah, nor- that and, like, political things to do. Where is Area 51 in Washington, D.C.? No, it's like in New Mexico. 
I don't know where it is. It's, isn't it a hidden well, place? Well, maybe, maybe it's not really there. Maybe it's somewhere else. They keep telling me on like documentaries it's like in Arizona or New Mexico or somewhere with, where a desert is. And uh, maybe it's like really in, uh, in the Bronx. What's another... Pro- <laughs> it might be in the Bronx. What's another protected place, though? Like, I feel like any place I want to go is somewhere that I feasibly could go. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I kind of want to go to the Eiffel Tower. Well, like, the Pentagon's really protected. Yeah, obviously. But what's the coolest thing you're going to see in the Pentagon? Like I kind of applied in the wall, or just walking. Well, I mean, these are. I think like if well, isn't it how it works? Like the closer you get to the middle, the more classified stuff is. So like maybe you find out about the aliens, or um, that we're actually created by uh, by dinosaurs having sex with walruses. I oh my god. I really like that we started our show off talking about religion and science, and this is close to where we're ending. <laughs> about humans being created by dinosaurs banging walruses. You How know, would that even What work? if the unicorns are real? Maybe you find it out with your trespassing trip to uh, to the Pentagon? I don't think so. I don't know. All right, Joe. I'm Maybe my to... answer is Elon Musk's shuttle that's going to Mars. Because I can't afford to go on it. So but if I could just... Trespass to get on? Yeah. Then, place. like, when they get in space, it's like, oh, what are you doing here? Too late, buddy. One-way trip. No, we're actually going to go back. <laughs> you can't be here. we got to drop you off. All right, Joe, let's, let's wrap up our show with a question from our good friend, Josh Eberly, who is at Josh Eberly. He asked me yesterday, Tom Cruise can only do one movie. Every other flick he's ever done gets passed to someone else. Which movie do you keep? Well, this one's tough because I'm like, I want to answer, like, who replaces him in the other movies. That's a good question. Um, I mean, which see, makes it really a, a long answer. Um, because like, who's in cocktail? Who's in Top Gun? If I don't pick it up, who's in Taps? Who's in Who's a risky business? Who's and in Jack Reacher? Choose, if you could choose these replacements, that's great. The way I kind of digested this question was those movies just don't exist. But that's not the way he asked it. So I mean, I don't know, Joe. Well, I guess like well, I guess my favorite Tom Cruise mo- like Top Gun's probably my favorite Top Gun movie or Tom Cruise movie that and Days of Thunder. But that's like the same movie, just one's in a race car and the other's in a plane. Um. You know what my favorite part of Days of Thunder is? What? At the end, when it's when it's Cole Trickle and whatever the Chiefs guy's name is, and he goes, come on, I'll walk you there. And he goes, walk, hell, I'll race you. And then the movie closes with the two of them jogging. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite part of any movie ever. Um, but I could see other people playing that role of Cole Trickle and Maverick from Top Gun. So I guess Jerry Maguire, I'd keep him in. Interesting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wow, wow! He hasn't done like a ton of. Um, he's done like a lot of ton of corny movies. Like looking back on it, yeah, almost all of them. Uh, I like him in the Jack Reacher movies. I haven't seen them. I had the first one. one I had the first one on my DVR, and I keep wanting to watch it because I remember seeing the trailer when I was like seeing something else, and I was like, "That movie looks dope. I, I would like to see that." So one one day I'll get around to seeing Jack Reacher. My answer here is probably Vanilla Sky. I think that's my favorite Tom Cruise movie ever. I was kind of obsessed with it when I was in high school because I just thought it was so deep. It's probably not that deep. Just I didn't see that many good movies before it, so I probably felt like that movie was awesome. Not Eyes Wide Shut? Not Software oh, Porn? We could probably have anybody else in Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, he does a great job playing the creep, especially the more you know about him. Um, other answer here, I'm kind of with you in the Top Gun realm. Top Gun, believe it or not, was like my favorite movie when I was a child, like a little, little child. Top Gun is like the land before time were my two favorite movies. I don't know how. Probably explains a lot about, about me growing up. Um, Loser. Sleeper here. Sleep, sleeper here. Tropic Thunder. Oh, he's very good in that role. He 
he's awesome in Tropic Thunder, and you could probably get like anybody that's like not a dumb comedian actor to play that role and be good. But I thought he was awesome as the movie executive in that in that movie. I think the timing helped that role because that's when he was kind of like known to be office rocker. So for him to be kind of self-deprecating and take a role that was clearly lesser than him, do you know what I mean? Like nobody was expecting that. Um, I thought that was pretty neat. And uh, didn't somebody recently ask us if we could be, or did I ask that question if we could beat up Tom Cruise? Yeah, you always ask about beating up Tom Cruise. Man, I have this weird infatuation with Tom Cruise. Apparently, I want, I want, I want our next podcast to recast every movie he's ever done. I am down, man. Don't be careful what you wish for. That's I, I mean that serious because, like, like I, I haven't given it a lot of thought because I knew like we're running long and there's no way like we could go through all the Tom Cruise movies today. But like I was just like pondering, like, like, like so do I have to pick Top Gun when it happened and actors from that age? Like, or my yeah. uh, like, yeah, like is it like is it like Keith or Sutherland like the only other choice then? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, who's playing that role? Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't be like, yeah, let's get Tom Hardy from 2015 to play Tom Cruise. A darker, Maver- a darker Top Gun. <laughs> right, can't do that. I mean, it might be. No, nah, it probably wouldn't be cool. Probably wouldn't. But let's do that. Let's let's replace our absurd questions on Monday show and recast Tom Cruise movies. Good. I have so much research to do. Me too. All right, I'm writing it in my rundown not, right not, now. That's the rules. Everybody remember this. Has to be an actor from that era. It's era. So like, I can't be like. 2017 Channing Tatum for 1980 whatever movie Days of Thunder. Yeah, this isn't a fantasy draft. You can't do something like that. We have to be realistic about it. Man, I feel like Keith or Sutherland is going to be the answer to almost every question. Probably. Because I don't so know a ton of actors of that age from the 80s. Oh, Jason Patrick Scott. Is Jason Patrick's going to get a ton of these? Jason Patrick Scott. No, just just just, just <laughs> Jason Patrick. Um, who else is going to get a ton? What's the other guy's name? He's still Tom Hanks. Tom yeah. Hanks is going to get some of these. Who else was famous in the in the eighties that were of that age group? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, Judd Nelson. Um, he's going to get Judd some. Nelson is not getting any of this work. Emilio Estevez could get some work though. Charlie Sheen was like a fake. Oh, Tom Charlie Sheen's going to get a ton that, of that's these. Probably the number one pick here because Charlie Sheen was Tom Cruise in Hot Shots. I mean, he was the Tom Cruise character. This is true. What the, the problem is in the movie Taps, Charlie Sheen's in Taps with Tom Cruise. Right. So if you take Charlie Charlie Sheen and put him with Tom Cruise, you have to then replace Charlie Sheen. Well, maybe that's what we have to do. You know who's actually a sneaky pick? Because now we get to know that he's actually pretty cool, but back then he played a lot of bad roles, is Josh Brolin. Yeah. Because yeah, he was, we, like, in Goonies and stuff. He wasn't, like, a big-time actor in the 80s. But he was yeah. of that age group. We can get Patrick Swayze in some of these movies. Oh, yeah, Kurt Russell. Kurt yeah. Russell's not a bad, bad maverick. Nah, he might take... I don't know. You man. think too dark? What? With Kurt Russell? I feel like he's fiery, but not fiery enough. No, you know, you know what? Kurt mean? Russell in Days of Thunder. That works. Like a race car-y, NASCAR-y movie. That works. Yeah, it does, but he made that, that terrible uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. When they, they did, like, the double... Stuntman? Grind, right, Grindhouse and uh, Death Car or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was Death that Car. Was a, that was unbearable. Oh, oh man, I want to do this now. What other movies was he in? What, Who's what doing Cocktail? Let's wrap it up, Joe. Let's No, go. I want to keep doing this. Let's save it for Monday. I want to avoid real work and just keep talking about Tom Cruise. And I have to do real work, so I cannot do this. So um, I have to write about Sean. So Miller. listen, for, for Monday, let's each pick three Tom Cruise movies. and we Just will three? Recast. Yeah, just come on, man. I mean. Can we do five each? Five different movies each? <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. I can do the whole show. This could be our concept show on Monday. Oh, Monday's the day. The, Monday's like our final four preview show. I'll get. 
uh, a college basketball expert on to help us do this. <laughs> well, I'd be like, I'd be like Aaron Torres or Seth Greenberg, the two guys that I get along with that I might ask on. Hey, will you come on the podcast on Monday? They'll be like, sure, and they'd probably expect to talk college basketball. I'd be like, so who do you think should replace <laughs> Yeah, who do you think should replace Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder? <laughs> oh my god, I love it! But really, let's let's we could do this on Monday. That's fine. However many you want. All right, let's put this on the poll. We'll put it on the poll <laughs> when when this is over because I have to edit. You tweet it out. Put it, make a poll and say Monday show concept show of recasting Tom Cruise movies or be normal show. You got it, Joe. I'll do that because I'm going to vote for concept show. I figure you you, you need to put the concept of the concept show in there though. Okay. You get the context of it. I mean, you got it. Man, All this right, was man. a long podcast today. It was, it was. I wasn't expecting that to happen. Go plug some uh, stuff. <laughs> that, that, we probably won't. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you all have a great weekend. Enjoy the March Madness because after this weekend, we only have like a few games left and that makes me sad. sad. You know who I am and you can follow me on Twitter at Hoops. Catch my basketball writing at fanregsports.com. Joe, tell the good people where they can find you. If you're somehow still listening over an hour into this podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E. My writing at fanragsports.com, and I like Pez. Ooh, no, you don't. You're <laughs> lying. Nobody likes Pez. I eat the Pez just for the Pez and not the toy that it comes with. Worst take I've ever heard. All around me are familiar websites. Worn out clickbait. Worn out hotcakes. Bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers, not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world.